remain standing. Our scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been told. Uh, Today we're going to continue this journey and um, continue looking at how Jesus uh, gives us a picture of how He expects us to live as followers of Him and the ways that we engage in our faith and the ways that we practice our faith and in the way both that we live as individuals and then also as a community of faith. Over the past few weeks, Jesus has shown us the marks of what it means to be a Christian. He's shown us how we are to be identified by our faith. He's shown us how we are to model righteousness. And he's even given us examples and a model by which we can base our prayers so that we can pray and orient our hearts towards God, both through our word, our thought, and also our deed. Over the past two weeks, we've also looked at how Jesus has contrasted the worship and actions of the Pharisees and the legal experts with his followers. Where he says, look at the Pharisees and gives examples and then says, it is not to be this way with you, you are to be this. Last week he shifted gears and for those followers that were listening to him or those people who were following who kept seeing him use the example of the Pharisees, You know, last week Jesus shifted gears and he stopped focusing on the Pharisees to contrast with how his followers to live. And he started focusing on people who weren't followers, who were Gentiles, who were not Jewish. So all of a sudden, those who were sitting there going, man, the Pharisees are getting it. Last week, Jesus turned around and said, now wait a minute, here's for you. So this morning, Jesus is teaching us on how the Christian community is supposed to operate. So he begins to focus on how you and I can interact in our relationships, both within our own nuclear families, but also within the larger Christian community. I think it's important for us, when we look at the uh, idea of what Jesus is teaching us about a Christian community, it's important for us, for at the very beginning, to say that there is nowhere in the Gospel or the New Testament where it says the Christian community is going to be perfect. I don't see it. Individually, we can strive for perfection. As a community together, we can strive for perfection. We can work to make ourselves and our community as perfect as humanly possible. But I think what we have to remember is that true perfection 
only comes through the knowledge of God and only comes through the work of God. Because only God can make you perfect or me perfect or us perfect. Does that make sense? I think we have to be realistic about that. We have to acknowledge that. That the only perfection that is attainable to us is the perfection that's granted to us by God. And I'm saying this because as Jesus is talking about what it means and how we are to interact as Christians, as followers of him, I think we can all say we know people who have distanced themselves from the Christian community or the church because it's some way has let them down or has not been perfect. And so if we come into this expecting perfection and we see mistakes, then we get upset. If we come expecting no mistakes, then we get frustrated. If we expect perfect leadership, perfect interaction, perfect relationships, well, we all know that that's near to impossible because it's only possible through God, right? Friends, what Jesus is teaching us is how you and I can live and how we can live under God's kingdom before we've ever really seen God's kingdom. So I think it's fair for us to acknowledge that and to say that we still deal with sin, we still rely on the grace of God, and we cannot be perfect without the work of Jesus and without God's final work on our behalf. Because the only way that we can get there is by striving, like to, striving to constantly grow closer to Jesus. And so as I've read these scriptures, and as we're going to read them today, and in the coming weeks. I think it's important for us to think about how uh, this, is, this is one of the e- ways that, that um, sometimes we fall short when it comes to the Christian community and when it comes to this idea of perfection. I also think it's one of the ways that the evil one works to separate us from each other. Because when we're in community with one another, if you think about it, We're encouraging one another, we're holding one another accountable, we're prodding each other along, we're journeying with one another. When we're struggling, we have people next to us to grab us by the arm and say, I'm not going to leave you until you're through this. But see, the evil one's goal is to separate that. It's to separate the community and to do that in any way possible. And so I think one of the easiest ways for us to to uh, see that is to plant the seed of doubt in any way in your mind about the perfection of the Christian community about other Christians. And so this seed of doubt gets working on us where we begin focusing more and more on the imperfections of other people rather than looking at the imperfections of ourselves. And so we spend time thinking about their shortcomings as a Christian or as the Christian community. And the seed slowly grows until it becomes the only thing that we're focused on. And it becomes a wedge that slowly pushes you away step by step from the community until all of a sudden you realize you're not part of the community and then the evil one has accomplished their plan. Because you're cut off from the vine, you're not bearing fruit, you're not receiving uh, the nutrients of, of God, you're not receiving the grace of God, you're not encouraging others, whatever it is that you receive from the Christian community, all of those things. And so the idea of perfection as Jesus is giving it to us can cause us to stumble, which is why I think what we have to do is read it and say these things are attainable, but they're attainable because of the work of God in our lives and because God's grace is what allows us to be perfect.
And so our scripture reading this morning talks exactly about that, about what it means for us to focus on others without focusing on ourselves. And it begins with one phrase. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 is the sermon, uh, is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible that says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. How many of you have used this passage of scripture? I think a lot of us have. Now I think there's times we, we use this scripture because we know that we're about to put ourselves in a position to where we're going to be judging others and we're not going to be able to look at ourselves. But I think there's also times we use this scripture to just head off someone else holding us accountable. Like where we say, you know, don't judge or you'll be judged before someone calls us out or tries to lead us to change. So I think as Jesus is talking about this example of judging and then talking about the plank in his eye and then later talking about um, how a father gives good gifts to his children, Each of these are examples of being in relationship with each other. But I think as Jesus is lifting them, he wants to differentiate and he wants us to see that there's a difference between an act of judgment where we're holding someone accountable and an attitude of judgmentalism where all we're focused on is looking at the wrongs of others. See, he doesn't tell us not to lead others to repentance of their sins. He doesn't tell us not to hold one another accountable. Instead, what he tells us is that we have to discern good from evil. We have to know what sin is, and we have to separate the good from the bad without having an attitude where all we're focused on, where all we're doing is judgmentalism. I mean, that could be the, the satisfaction or joy that we get from the hardship or repentance of others. An attitude of judgmentalism would be when we find ourselves focusing more and more and looking specifically for the imperfections of others for the purpose of pointing them out. See, Jesus isn't saying that. He's telling us how we're to measure our own hearts as we are in relationship with others in Christian community. And so he offers us a couple of examples. I have a couple of short videos this morning. They're um, cartoon illustrations of the scripture this morning. They're kind of fun. Um, because what they do is they help us to illustrate and think about, you know, this ancient words, these ancient words of Jesus that still speak to us today. All right, so the first uh, applies to, to verses three through four. So we're going to watch it. It's about a minute. And um, where Jesus is telling his followers to, to evaluate themselves, and to look at themselves before they focus on the wrongs of others. And so we'll watch the video and then talk about it. Go ahead. All right, if you can't read it, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Hey man, what's that in your eye, man? Looks like you got a little piece of sawdust or something in your eye right there. Or maybe it's one of those little sleepies you get in your eye, you know, when you, when you sleep too long or you have a cold. You got to get that out of your eye, buddy. Let me, let me go get you a tissue. Hold on. I had something in my eye too. 
I can see clearly now the plane is gone. I can see all the... How's that song go again? Alright, so what's Jesus telling us in this example? Jesus is... Sorry. Oh, so Jesus... Okay, um, so I think it's a humorous example of the scripture that we've just read from Matthew 7, verses 3 through 4, where Jesus is telling his followers to evaluate yourselves and to make sure that you're not falling into an attitude of judgmentalism where all you're doing is looking for the imperfections of others while overlooking the ones of your own. Jesus is telling us to look at ourselves. He's saying, look at what you're doing before you look it over. And I realize that, that his example is over the top, although it's helpful. Oh, and then this comic, you know. Um, so it says, ha-ha, you just told him he has a splinter in his eye, and you have a beam in yours. So there's splinter, beam, and then the guy has a tree growing out of his face. Um, but isn't this true? Because Jesus speaks to the conditions of our hearts. He speaks to the conditions of our minds. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus experienced this himself because we know that he was fully God and he was fully human. So we know when Jesus is talking about this, he knows the temptation and he knows the likelihood or the inclination that you and I are going to have to focus on the wrong of someone else before we ever look at the wrong of ourselves. Because think about it, it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy for us to focus on the shortcomings or issues of others while completely overlooking our own shortcomings and issues. We may enjoy pointing something out for something on someone else or about someone else that's joking. You know, and it's okay until someone points the same thing out at our expense, and then sometimes we don't like that, do we? Like I said a minute ago, Jesus is not telling us to not help others to leave sin. He's not telling us to not help others to be accountable to their faith, to be accountable to Him, to repent and to grow closer to God. But what He is telling us is to apply ourselves the same measure that we expect and we apply to other people. What He's saying is we have to focus on our shortcomings first in order to position ourselves to help others. So in terms of the video he's saying, or the example he's saying, as a Christian, I have to make sure that I don't have a glaring wrong going on in my life before I go to someone else to offer to help them to take the speck out of their own. He's not condemning us holding one another accountable. He's not condemning us urging one another on. He's not condemning us pushing each other along. What he is condemning is when you and I judge and we don't apply the same level of self-criticism to ourselves. See, friends, what he is doing, if you think about it, is in this teaching right here, is he's raising the standard of what it means to be a follower of him. He's raising the standard of what it means for you and I to be a part of a Christian community, of what it means to, for us to interact with each other and to encourage each other and to help one another and to walk along on this faith, with one, this faith journey with one another. 
The second video that I want to show with you all this morning is a little longer, but it th- it's just thinking about, you know, what's the latter part of this scripture? So Jesus talks about the gifts that we're given. And he basically says uh, that if pagans can give good gifts to their children, how much better of a gift are you going to receive from God if you accept the gifts from God? Because the gifts from God are good and they're perfect. And so we'll watch the video and then I'll talk about that for a minute. Okay. Or what man there is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Happy birthday, son! So good on you, boy. Now that's not even right. Giving a boy a big old snake instead of a cute fish. Why, that's crazy in a fox in an open field in midday. Now, now tell me something. What does that mean? Well, on that see, a fox is nocturnal. Uh-huh. That that means they come out at nighttime. Oh. If you see one in a field in the day, something's wrong with them. They're a little crazy. Probably got rabies or something. Uh Uh-huh. Mother, can I have some compass, please? Sure. Here you are, love. boys and girls it's the all-new cereal sugar-coated box of gravel packed with all kinds of minerals and nutrients and even some semi-precious metals to boot it's the cereal that rocks with you all day you won't be hungry for a snack you won't even be hungry for lunch because you'll have two pounds of delicious sugary gravel in your tummy order your box today the makers of Box of Gravel are not responsible for medical bills due to dental or intestinal problems after eating gravel. Side effects may include weight gain, teeth fissures, mild to extreme pain, and frustration. Not recommended as a daily meal that contains no real nutritional value that humans can digest. You know what they... Now that's not right. Giving the poor girl a big old rock to eat 
instead of some nice warm bread? That's meaner than a hungry one-legged coyote caught in a chicken wire. You ever had them near chicken nuggets? They're pretty good. Yeah, but I want to know what, what part of the chicken did those nuggets come from? I don't know. I, I saw one place that actually called them chicken fragments. No, I had chicken for breakfast. Chicken for breakfast? What? Oh, it's good. It's good chicken for breakfast. Eating chicken, you eat the egg, you eat the whole family. You know what? Chicken farms are stinky. There you have it. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, this is a humorous illustration of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, where Jesus is talking to the people and basically he's saying to them, for you to be in Christian community, you have to know what you believe, you have to know what you need, and you have to know where God is to be able to ask. Because he tells us, he gives them an example. He says, you know, that the people who aren't Christian, the, the people who, um, <clears throat> you know, which of you, if, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or if you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Friends, what he's saying, though, is that God knows what we need. We just have to ask. We have to ask for the good things, and we have to search our hearts to know what God is doing, to know what God is doing in our life, to know what God is doing in our community. And we have to know what God's will is in order to ask, in order to seek, and in order to knock, and in order to believe. That in order to... Um, for God to do what we're asking Him to do, that God can do it and will do it. Because we have to know what we want in order to really receive it. And it doesn't just make us stronger as individual Christians, but it makes us stronger as a Christian community. Because that's what Jesus is saying in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's given us examples of, of how you and I are going to be closer together. And it's by looking at ourselves and making sure that we're walking closer to God, not so that we can hold others accountable, but He wants us to do it so that we're ready, we're able. We don't have those, uh, our own things weighing us back or weighing us down and holding us back. It keeps us from truly walking and journeying with each other. Because God wants us to be perfect in His eyes. He wants us to be perfect in the way that we pursue a relationship with Him, knowing that we're unable to do it. If not for His working, if not for His grace, and if not for His action in our lives and in our life together. It's only then that we can ask. And we can only ask because we seek. And we can only seek because we knock and we ask God to enter our lives as we seek Him first, and as we worship together. Now, if I could invite the ushers to come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And as they come, uh, would you remember or to remind those that are worshiping online with us that if you go to fumcclovis.net, there's a secure online link that'll take you to a giving portal where you can give electronically and participate in the stewardship ministry of First United Methodist Church in that way. Would you all bow with me in prayer? Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many ways you provide for us, for the rain that we've received, and for the blessings that we have. 
We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus and for the life that you offer us through him. God, I pray now for the blessings that we offer you in return, that you would use them for the work and ministry of your church and for your people so that you would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.